Hello and welcome to This is a Token with Alex Monroe, the podcast that celebrates all things jewellery. I've spent half a lifetime designing and making jewellery, but what really interests me is what it means to other people. This is a podcast where we ask our guests about the jewellery they cherish most of all. We'll explore the moving, fascinating and often surprising stories connected to each piece and those emotional bonds that we just can't do without. My guest today is the journalist and author Alice Vincent. Alice is a columnist for Gardens Illustrated and writes for titles including Vogue and The New Statesman. She's been documenting her garden online since 2015, but we'll put all those links on the website. Alice's books include How to Grow Stuff, A Guide to Gardening for Beginners, Rootbound, Rewilding, A Life, which was long-listed for the Wainwright Prize and named one of the books of 2020 by the Financial Times and The Independent. And her newest book is called Why Women Grow, released in early March in time for International Women's Day. It's a fascinating exploration of why women turn to the earth as gardeners, growers and nurturing custodians of the soil. And Alice has launched her new podcast called Why Women Grow, which will feature all sorts of fascinating women like Sarah Raven and Margaret Howe. So do check that out too. I must say, it all sounds very professional. No delivery people or lorries reversing in the background like you get here. Um, we'll put all the links on the website along with lots of other information and of course pictures of the jewellery that we'll be talking about too. Alice is a self-taught gardener and like me, she lives in South London. So with a big South London welcome, I say, Alice Vincent, thank you so much for coming along to our London Bridge HQ today. And thank you for being our guest of This Is A Token. Absolute pleasure. biscuits and we've got the jewellery in front of us. Yeah. I just want to say we've got Esme in the room with us and Esme is sound recording technician and um, Esme say hello so that we know that you're Hi, here. I am here. She's here. Ooh, what a nice radio voice. I know. <laughs> I'm gonna, I should be doing that. Hello. <laughs> hello. Tell me podcast. Mm, it was meant to be a summer project and it, it took three seasons so we recorded between the very end of spring and the sort of middle of autumn last year. Yeah. And much as Why Women Grow the book, it was so important to speak to people in their growing spaces. The podcast had to be in situ as well. Did you? So you went and visited everyone yeah. and you, were, you sat in their gardens. Exactly. And did like a micro light or a lawnmower or a car horn. Yes. It's just non-stop, isn't it? Yeah. So Margaret Howell was our first guest and I was so excited. I was so excited to meet everyone, but we were very excited to see, meet Margaret and we turned up to this beautiful, very restful, tranquil garden and next door we're having an extension built. Ah. And so, yes, we sort of... <laughs> I do not envy my producer, but there's a lot of stopping and starting throughout. A lot of it, you need a good editor. Yes. Um, I was excited to meet you, and one of the reasons was because I was excited to meet someone who'd met Margaret ah. Howell. You, so you actually met Margaret yes. Howell, she's a bit of a hero. Because I'm originally a Suffolk boy, mm. and she has connections with Suffolk. She's so. got a place up there, yeah. and we did hear about her garden up there as well. Right. So we went to her home in Blackheath, yeah. and I get the sense that she, her Suffolk garden has a very different feel to her Blackheath garden, so... Mm. 
as a Suffolk boy, mm. you'll know what those coastal environments are like. Um, and Blackheath is very... We we also travelled with a photographer on the podcast, so there's lots of beautiful photographs of every garden, every guest. Oh, can't wait. Yeah. Um, they'll all be available on, on the website. So the London garden is very leafy and green and almost... It's almost like Japanese in, in its appreciation of really minimalist, very low intervention garden, really mm. letting things like moss and mm. ferns take centre stage. And lots of trees quite close up to the house, mm. so you really feel quite ensconced. Blackheath architecture is quite kind of Georgian, isn't it, yes. around there? So I yeah. can see that would all work quite well. Yeah. Um, so you're writing. I, I really, I, as you can see with my, Emma said, move your bookmark. Yeah. You're not all the way through it. But I was like, I was like no, because I've got to be honest, I'm yeah. a slow reader, so I'm not all the way through. Um, but it's, also, it's, it's not a thriller, you know, it's something to take your time over, <laughs> well, so you're fine. I like it because it's nice and calm and thoughtful and I've enjoyed reading it. But I really like your writing style because it feels like your writing style is a craft. And when I, I did my book and I approached writing the same as I do my jewellery where I just just worked really hard at it. I'm, I wasn't, I'm not a natural writer, but I worked and worked and worked at each sentence until I felt that it sort of, it was okay. Sometimes you read a book and it can be a bit clunky or things pull you out. But your writing is beautiful. Did you study writing or is it just something you've always done? Yeah, I didn't study it. I started as a journalist, mm. gosh, quite long, 15 years ago now. And my journalism is quite increasingly close to how I write books. But I start, you know, I was an arts reporter on at a newspaper. So you have to do things quickly mm. and you have to really get to the point which actually I think getting to the point in any writing is crucial. There is just different ways of doing that. Absolutely. It's like the same as everything. It's the same as designing jewellery or anything, or it's about the editing. You almost want to take away as much as you can to get to the point. Exactly. And that, Alex, that is the, that's what's so interesting when you say that you would whittle down each sentence because um, that is my goal as well. I, you know, I, you know, when you, writers who are, have been doing it for decades, who are quite elderly, will have very spare, very... They'll do so much with so little, and that, yeah. for, that for me is a, is a huge goal. And when I do write, I, this will have been edited dozens of times just because of the nature of how you write a book. Yeah. But I don't excruciate over writing. I tend to think for a very long time, months, and then not write much, and then I'll just have a real splurge and get a few thousand words down in quite a short period of time. So it tends, for me, it's very much part of how my brain works. I need to process things on the page. And one thing, especially with Why Women Grow, when people have been reading the early editions, is that they've been surprised by how personal it is. And for me, that was never an intention, but it's just how I work things out. Like, Mm. parts of my life end up on the page because I don't know how else to think about it. I think that's one of the things I liked about it, was that you... You got the strong sense that there was a, it, there was working out going on. You know, you could sort of see that process of working things out, which I really enjoyed. How do you keep notes? Do you have notebooks and sketchbooks, or how do you? I just showed you when you came yeah. in my sketchbook, which is just Such they're just packed full of stuff. Yeah. Because I need to. I'm always terrified if I think of something or see something or find something that if I don't record it, I'll forget yeah, it. it. And yeah. then I use them as my resource when it comes to 
doing a bit of writing mm-hmm. or doing a bit of drawing. So how do you collect? I'm a really bad at discipline at keeping a diary, so I've never kept one. And so I I tend to think that if it's important enough, it'll sift to the top. Well, you probably have a memory, which is something <laughs> I certainly don't. I think that's what worries me is that I've, I've just so, I just have such a crappy memory that I've just relied on having everything. But I think visuals are really key, right? And visuals are so yeah. key to what you do. And yeah. so therefore I do take a lot of photographs. It's surprising what can be useful, WhatsApp messages. Certainly when I wrote my last book, Rootbound, which was going back a, a longer stretch of time, stupid stuff like Facebook Messenger chat would, would take you, not necessarily because you needed to document exactly what happened, but it would take you back to where you were in that place. Yeah. I do have a different notebook for each book that I write and when I finished a manuscript I will go to my favourite stationers and buy another one that's nice yeah it's such a real it's it's the eight year old stationary nerd yeah. in me it's like the ultimate treat yeah get ready for the beginning of a term like yeah. you know, sharpen your pencils and buy a new notebook it's literally closing one and beginning another even if I don't know what I'm going to do in it yet um, do you feel like because I feel like my that my little self of sketchbooks yeah. it's sort of almost more precious to me than the finished jewelry yes Somehow, so I wonder if you're going to end up with a, with a shelf of notebooks. That... At the moment, they're underneath a bit like what we're looking at now. You've got yeah. your notebooks on the lower level, and then you've yeah. got your kind of gorgeous collection of reference <clears throat> books above. And so, yes, my office is currently in disarray because the baby is taking over it, which is also a key theme ah. of why women grow, isn't it? <laughs> I was, <laughs> What's my I creativity going to happen? Was so interesting. Cause that is that is such a big theme comes out in the book, doesn't it? And so yeah. um, it's great to see you here. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to ask you about you didn't you didn't you didn't remove a cycling hat, and so you're not cycling today. Yeah. I was going <clears> to, and why did I not? I wanted to read on the bus, mm. but I was the last time I came here, I rode because it's like twenty minutes from me. It's so nice, and, and I, it's a lovely little ride. I found a. a Picture. Is, is your little pooch, is it green? Yeah. yeah. I found a picture of it. I'm a bit obsessed. So what was weird was it was like... Oh, I wish I'd um, brought it. Because no, it's beautiful, Alex. It's had a refurb job from... I don't know when you just found the photo, but it is... It's the kind of bike that people in bike shops coo over, you know. I love, I love it. I, <laughs> one of my proudest... You know, you can make... You can write books and make so much jewellery. But I took my bike to a little bike shop off the Woolworth Road, a little repair place. What, not not um, Edwards? No, it was okay. it was actually in the old um, Kennington estate. They've got all the jewels, you do it yourself and give oh, them a wow, couple of quid. Okay. It's a great place. And um, and they said, oh, you're the guy with the tangerine Bianchi. And I was like, <gasps> I was like they know, they've heard of me, they've seen me. It's, you know. such a, it's a unique uh, kind of pride. Like, yes, I am. And and I chose that bike and I've, and I've put Japanese handlebars on it. I've just put some new wheels on it. But um, it's lovely. So it was so funny. When I was doing a bit of research on it, I was like, oh my gosh, she's such such a cool bike. I love those bikes. And um, oh, yeah, I was going to, I need to keep asking people. So one of my favourite bikes, which I've kind of fixed up for nieces and nephews and things, is called a Rally Wisp. Okay. And it was quite a popular bike in the 70s. But the forerunner to that, I've never seen one before. And it was locked up outside our Tower Road studio. But it's been left there for like <gasps> a year or two. And first of all, you know, like the wheels get kicked in yes. so that they get all bent yes. and they can't be used. And now someone's taken the handlebars because they're really nice wrapped back oh. handlebars. So it's all bent and rusted and handlebars gone, but it's still locked to its D-lock. And like, what do you think? Is there a, a legal, like, can I get an angle grinder and, and take that bike now? Because I want to save it. I mean, you know, where's the, the legal? Because, <laughs> like, because well, like, no one else, clearly, no one else is going to. But your so your bike shop is Brixton Cycles, right? Yeah, but, I mean, we I mm. live 
truly over the road from Brixton Cycles. And they are fantastic. But I have a sort of a depository of, of bike shops I've loved around London. Yeah. So Edwards on the yeah. Woolworth They're Road. Great, They're yeah, gruff but great. Brixton are fantastic. There was one up in Dalston when I lived around there. I love bike shops and I always feel that the pook is mm. my way in. And I come from a family of engineers actually, so I should know how to fix it myself, but I don't. Even if bike shops can be quite intimidating, very masculine, very light. There's none of the polish of your shop downstairs shall we say uh-huh. um, no. <laughs> but the minute you wheel in a nice bike it's almost like there's this silence that goes you're like oh yeah I'm you're getting all, the credit you're all kind of equals and you all know you're all sort of thinking the same thing it's beautiful yeah. yeah it was so funny so I was just doing my research and I saw your bike I said I love that bike that's so cool <laughs> and then I was and then I went um, and then my ambition I still haven't done it and it's often because I'm working but there was a little thing where you said that you go to Frog Bakery which is yes. only down the road from it it's like oh gosh that's my thing and then I think we got married in the same... We got married in the Camberwell um, registry office too. So I was like, oh my God. How have we not with, bumped thinking, into each other before? I was thinking, well, I bet I've seen you, you know, we've passed on bikes somewhere. Yeah. Um, I'm quite a goody-goody when I'm cycling and I tend not to sort of just blast through red traffic lights mm. when there's pedestrians. So I would have tutted at you if you, you know... I'd, I'm a goody-goody in a sense. I, I kind of respect other uh, people on foot. I'm yes. not taking on cars. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I don't like to cut across a pedestrian crossing if there's a person there's crossing. There's people on it, but I'm okay yeah. with that. If there's a car, yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, and the other thing, another nice thing is you were talking about cookery books. And mm. um, I loved it because I've got old friends, the Sam Clark Morrow. Oh, Morrow. And you said that one of their cookery books. Yeah, the new Morrow Easy. What was funny was that there was a nice chap called Sam Clark who went to work at the Eagle in kind of East London. I was going to say Clark Hackney Way. No, it's like Clark and well, near Hatton Garden. It's that Eagle. And then um, a young woman started and she was called Sam Clark too. And they got together and got married. So Sam Clark, we have no idea if she changed her name to Sam Clark or if she kept her own name, but there were two exactly the same wow. names. I think one of them had an E on, so I'm not quite sure. Yeah, how funny. There were two Sam Clarks who became Sam Clarks who, who started Morrow. Yeah. So anyway, we love it. Yeah. We love it. And it's a great place to eat. Well, let's get on to some jewellery. It was really lovely to pull this together because I don't have a lot of jewellery and I'm quite minimalist in how much I wear at once. Mm. And so going through what I do have was such a journey through, I guess, my youth and young adulthood. And what I realised is I am a bit of a Marie Kondo minimalist and I don't keep things. And so when I was a teenager, I wore a lot of, I mean, I love vintage, Mm. but I wore a lot of vintage jewellery as a teenager. And I don't have any of it. So I was hoping to bring some of that. But yes, what we have here is from the age of about 18 up to the present day. So you've got about nearly, well, 18 years of jewellery, I suppose. Something Lovely. like that. Lovely. So yes, I would I, I would like to throw that back at you and see what you're interested in. Well, I, I, I love seeing the pictures and I was really interested in all of them. I kind of wasn't expecting the watch because it doesn't look like what, what would come from you. Mm. I was in, I'm just intrigued by them, really. The lioness... I'm saying lioness could be tiger head. Yeah. Is bigger. The big cat is bigger than I thought. Mm. And I'm really intrigued by the little cup and pearl. Yes. Um, It's really cute. I think it's actually pottery. It's ceramic, I think. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, yes. So cool. So let's have a look. So what we've got, we need to take it in terms because I'm very bad at describing this, but we've got this gorgeous kind of... I only call it duck egg green, which is, I know there isn't a duck egg green, but a sort of a mist green yeah. um, little cup with a, with a gold inside and a little 
pearl hanging off the handle and then on a very, 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 very tiny thin chain. And it's really quite cute. But um, it almost looks like a kind of doll's house thing yeah. that's been made. It does, doesn't it? Um, kind of made by you. So, but yeah, so tell, tell us about so this necklace. this was my 21st birthday present. Ooh. And I still remember the shopping day that we went to go and get it. I was out in Shoreditch with my mum and my sister. And I don't think my mum had been to Shoreditch before. <clears throat> and when was this? 21. So that would have been the late 2010s. Yeah. Right on the cusp before Hoxton turned, I'd yeah. say. Yeah. And so a bit scruffy, you know, Rachel Boston was not in Hoxton yeah. then, you Did know. Did they still have like the markets there? Yeah, yeah, all of that stuff. And it was on a Sunday, so it was a market, mm. so it was busy. And my mum is a huge jewellery person. She's always worn beautiful artisanal crafts, jewellery. And so she was like, let's find you something for your mm. 21st. Which is actually quite a weird challenge when someone tasks you with that. Because, well, you know what it's like when you have to go and find something mm-hmm. rather than let it come to you. And so much of what I wear, I do sort of let find mm-hmm. me or whether that's my house or whatever and so yes this was in a jewellers I think just off Brick Lane and why is it interesting I think because it's very very delicate as you say and it's taken me a long time to get used to delicate jewellery but also I was 21 I was in my third year of university I wasn't really going to any nice functions I would go clubbing in a lot of very beautiful vintage dresses and ruin them and I suppose in many ways it was my first bit of sort of grown up jewellery and Mm. it's something that it's funny to look back on because I I don't I was looking at it recently it's like oh that's quite nice I should start wearing that again but it it feels almost to go back to that conversation we had about how femme or girly or whatever Mm. it it feels like it's something that I chose and yet I don't know whether I've ever it's ever really suited me like I'm thinking about the day you know when my dad actually asked my opinion when he went to the tool shop to buy a power drill or something (laughs) and suddenly you sort of feel it's almost like a rite of passage of a son and you feel quite sort of oh it's me and my dad and we're looking at at power tools and we're you know and it's like a very I didn't you know have that much interaction with my dad and it was like quite a special thing and I wonder if this is a bit sort of might be a bit kind of rites of passagey you know with your mum and getting your first piece of proper jewellery for yourself or something so so I'm, I'm thinking maybe it sort of connects you to that, I think that you're part right. of that journey. Um, it was a grown-up thing to do at a time when, yeah, you're right, it was this sort of let's go and find something. And quite a, quite a feminine yeah. thing to do. I don't. And I, neither I, of us, both of us are quite tomboy, even though we yeah. like beautiful things. It was that sort of, there was an element of performance about it, but also an element of real importance. And yeah. it was a really transitional time in my life. I was graduating, I moved to New York, I, I suppose I became a writer. Mm. There were a lot of unknowns. And so it's a piece that really takes me back to that that transition, I suppose. It's interesting that also it's a sort of referral to your sort of femininity things, isn't it? Buying jewelry. I don't think it's a very, very much of a sort of male experience where your mum would take you or your dad would take you to go and buy your first piece of jewelry. And then, and jewelry, I don't think so much now, but I think, you know, back in my day, it was much more associated with femininity and women. So I think now what's lovely is that my daughters have friends that would go shopping with their mum on their 21st birthday male friends yeah. and their and their mum would buy them a beautiful piece of jewellery that yeah. they wear because I just think you're so much more able to express yourself no yes. matter who you are 
Yeah. Um, well, that's very sweet. That's nice. So that's that's a kind of um, uh, twenty-one-year-old you. Yeah, that's that's the one. There's the tiniest knot in the chain, and I yes. would not like to try and. I mean, I'm. That, there's a reason why that knot that. is still there. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> it would just that is like so. Uh, it's never coming out. But I think it's very pretty, and I'm I'm intrigued at that. That is the thinnest. Have you ever, Esme, have you ever seen a thinner chain than that? It's like the width of a hair, it almost. Is like it's width of so I think actually the thinness fine. of the chain was was almost more appealing to me than the things hanging off it. Although mm. the whole thing is very delicate. That's true. I think maybe I will start wearing it again. So. Um, well, the thing is with thin chain like that, and and a and a baby. Oh yeah, that's, things get grabbed. Yeah, you're right. Maybe <laughs> maybe wait a little while. Yeah. Do you keep everything? Do you have a jewellery box? Yeah, so I've brought... I mean, this is... You can see oh, how yeah. sort of folksy... It wasn't... I mean, it's a lovely piece, but it wasn't an expensive piece. That's the box it came in. That's and I so. haven't actually looked up. It says, Louise Buchan Tea Set Jewellery. I do I love keep that. things in I their love boxes. I that little box too, because like nowadays everyone will be redoing this, because it feels quite environmentally friendly, doesn't it, that box? Yeah. It's, it's quite minimalist and natural cobbled. Um, that's a super necklace. Did you then shortly afterwards go and move to New York? Yes, so I graduated and I always knew I wanted to be a journalist and at the time it was very much intern culture, intern no salary culture, which was something that in the sort of post-recession England was challenging and also I had done internships here but it, they were more like work experience, people didn't really know what to do, whereas yeah. in New York that intern you know, training on the job thing was far yeah. more established. Yes, yeah, so you went off to New York, um, great jewellery shops in New York, I haven't no. got the feeling that you were... You I was were... mostly buying dumplings and dollar <laughs> slices and um, not as much vintage shopping as I'd hoped because actually the vintage... Uh, wasn't very good over there, but no. the vintage clothing. We had a great, I mean, London had a great scene, certainly oh, when fantastic. I was at uni and up in Camden, and everything was vintage, that's all we ever did. Yeah. Um, um, but um, I don't know about New York, I don't think I've ever done it. It seemed like a lot of other hipsters, more recent hand-me-downs being sold on. There wasn't that sort of, uh, the treasure that you could find in the sort of early noughties or yeah. even late noughties in charity shops and yeah. picking up those things but yeah so I moved to New York to intern for a magazine named Nylon and yeah. it really was it wasn't Devil Wears Prada I was treated far more nicely than that but it was very much thrown into fashion week thrown into writing features thrown into going on bizarre road trips with uh, interviewees mm. it was an absolute blast and it was also probably the loneliest I've ever been it was this funny mixture of Cities things. can be so lonely, can't they? But And yeah. also, but New York is like so New York-y, isn't yeah. it? When you go there, it's so familiar because you've seen it on every film. It's, a, right. like, it's like a caricature of itself, New York. Manhattan is, but Brooklyn I was unfamiliar with and I was living yeah. in Brooklyn. And so that was that very American sense of big wide streets and low squat flats and yeah. all of that stuff was alien to me. And, you know, I'd never lived in a Mexican neighbourhood before. I'd never lived alongside a Hasidic Jewish neighbourhood before. So yeah. th that, for the, you know, I, I thought I'd gone to uni in Newcastle and I knew some stuff. Like, no, from a girl who was brought yeah. up in the countryside in, like, the home counties, it was completely eye-opening. Yeah. But then going to sort of see New York Fashion Week and stuff yes. was just, just amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's big and it's larger than life. And I took my daughter last trip. And I had an appointment with Vogue on the top floor of the of the new... Oh, the very um, shiny new Condé Nast Tower. Yeah, Condé yeah. Nast Tower. And um, after we left, a model that my daughter recognised 
was going down the escalators and she was sort of wearing furs and things and then the photographer and stylist she was with were all kind of going oh darling darling and they were sort of <laughs> snapping away and then we tumbled into the lift and then it was just so New York it yeah. was so fashion yeah. and so New York it was just hilarious everything we did it was like oh my god it's yeah. like we're on a film set you do so feel like you're on a film absolutely but, but cities can be so lonely yeah and it was the same when I moved to London subsequently university isn't real life you're all there to live mm. together and make friends so mm. when you're catapulted into a life with a lot of young professionals who have their own friends they don't really care <laughs> if you've just mm. landed off from JFK so um, yeah had to had to fall on my feet but it was um, it was wonderful I'm so glad I did it and how when you how long did you last? a few months yeah. I wasn't really there on a proper visa yeah. so <laughs> as long as I could get away with it the nice, the easy thing I found about making jewellery is that when I left uni and, and for the first part of my career, I, you'd need to rent a bench space in a workshop somewhere and it would be full of other people who were, who were the same as you. So there was never any sense that you didn't have a community mm. and it was a very strong community and, I, and I'd never really realised what, what other working patterns could be like. So yeah, we were always had each other to, 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 to rely on and if you, were, so nice. if you were under the weather, people would come pop round and see if you were all right and things yeah. so so yeah that was a good thing my sister went off to Paris and was very very lonely as well so it can be quite quite an issue can't it when you're that but these are the things off. that make you yeah yeah it's all part of the process isn't yeah, it yeah for sure good all right let's have a look at another piece love that necklace we're going to put all these photos on the website <laughs> um something that intrigues me is the ring I've got to say this okay. is this one yes I really like it and it kind of I kind of feel like Flash Gordon could have worn that or something. Yeah. It's, it's super. I had really good fun doing some earrings like this. And it's almost like if you've got a, a stack of pins and line them up side by side. And I'm not describing this very well. It's made of these sort of um, little rods of metal yeah. um, in quite a kind of sci-fi way. And it doesn't join up. There's a big gap at the top, which I like. Yes. Yeah, so that was the ring my husband proposed to me with. Oh. Yeah, and I had no idea the engagement was happening, and I was so surprised that I didn't even that he almost sort of had to show the ring as an afterthought, as a kind of oh by the way, <laughs> <laughs> and it was always a placeholder, and it was in six weeks into lockdown and um, at home, obviously, and I just think it's so interesting because he had picked it by looking on the internet, because it has been locked down. Mm -hmm. I think he sort of decided to do the whole thing in lockdown. And it's a funny situation whereby the ring has great sentiment and and such importance in that moment, but it was always going to be usurped. Yeah. And that's what I find quite interesting about it. And I do think it's really cool. It's sort of costumey and fun. And as you say, it's like, is it sort of retro-futuristic? Is it Art Deco? I don't quite know. It's become one of the pieces that will will help describe your you and your family's journey and yeah. story. So what I hope is that is that in a generation or two's time, when the jewellery box is open, that'll be that'll be the story behind that piece. And it, it has an amazing way of connecting you back through to something. And yeah. also it's an extraordinary time to propose. It was. And it was, I mean, the proposal is written about briefly right at the beginning of Why Women Grow. And it took place on the balcony and... Those who are familiar with my work, the ba- I le- I taught myself how to grow on mm. balcony gardens. One in a place called Ruskin Park mm. House, no less. That was the first balcony I had, which is in Camberwell. And then the second one looked over the woods in um, Forest Hill. And that was where we got engaged. And so that was a, such an interesting thing because the balcony had been always my space. 
I have always grown plants and cultivated a space that is for me, which is also a very, very much part of the book. And then my now husband moved in in February, early February. Obviously, the lockdown happened in mid, late March. It was always going to be a temporary thing. And we ended up, this space that was so very much my own became ours. And we wrote a part of our history on this tiny little balcony. And the funniest thing was is that he tried to tidy it up before proposing without me realising. Ah. And I can't go back onto the balcony and he's sort of faffing with a bottle of champagne in the kitchen without me knowing. I've busy put all of my darling seedling pots back on the table because I'm like, why are they on the floor? Yeah, what are you doing? And he walks out and he sort of sees this, you know, this scene that he tried to set up and he's like, didn't want to give the game away, but all of the the plants are back. Um, But yeah, it was, lockdown was so funny and I know that it was really, really difficult for a lot of people, but... For us, it was, I just remember that time was truly golden. The way that that early mid-spring light came in. Mm. It was a west-facing balcony. Mm. We would sit out there in those very warm, strange evenings mm. and watch the sunset and have a drink and a chat. And that was exactly how the how the engagement happened. And it, it feels like in my memory, and I know it wasn't, but it feels like a time that was strangely, weirdly sparkling. Yeah. 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 No, it was a special time. But it was a strange time too, wasn't it? So I, I'm Very sure odd. for a lot of couples, it was like either make it or break it, wasn't it, when you're suddenly chucked in together? Oh, yeah. I mean, two of us in a small one-bedroom flat. Mm. Everything happened on a table that was half the size of this. We mm. ate, we worked, we talked, all on this this tiny yeah, table. Right. But you could get out. You could, you could get, get out to your exercise and get to the woods. And yeah, get the woods were yeah. 30. I mean, we looked at woods 30 seconds out of the door yeah, and you were in the woods and we were so fortunate for that. What ring's taken over from this one? That's, um, <coughs> this, this one is my engagement Lovely. ring. So did you guys go out together? Uh, How did you choose that? Because that is a beautiful stone thank you so the stone was in matt's family oh really yeah it was this sort of almost i mean it, i don't think i can make it sound as comedic as it as it, i found it which was essentially matt is one of three boys of an only child who came from a very matriarchal family mm-hmm. so there was an awful lot of jewelry in his family mm-hmm. and uh, i think when when it became apparent that the two of us were fond of each other my father-in-law had taken him aside and was like you know there are stones in the family kind of and it's always become a bit of a running joke there are the stones in the family anyway so we'd been engaged for about a week and we went and had this very socially distanced barbecue when it was allowed at his parents' house. And there was literally just a tea tray brought out with these family jewels put on them. And I just did not know how to react because my sister-in-law, who'd been married into the family, was very happy, like, trying them on, having this great time. I was like, do I, see, I don't want to seem too avaricious. I don't want to seem too ungrateful. It was pretty much see what you like kind of thing. And that was the diamond in the middle was one of them. And it transpires that that was actually the diamond that belonged to the engagement ring of an aunt who was very, very dear to my father-in-law. Oh, nice. And also she had a very happy marriage as well. So it, it's got this it's lovely, got vibes. lovely heritage, so nice. which we only found out afterwards, actually. It's quite an unusual ring. So there's a beautiful diamond in the, in the centre. And then it has sort of two shanks that run parallel that are just um, held together with a couple of little rods. I will we'll have photos, I'm describing it badly. But... Um, Top and bottom of the diamond are these beautiful. Uh, they look like. Do you know what they are? They look like um, grey diamonds. diamonds. Yeah. yeah, they're sort of three square. Three square isn't really a thing, is it? But it's a jewellery term. But they're beautiful colours, and that's quite unusual. So, did you take the stone to a jeweller and work together to? to sort the design out. Exactly. <clears throat> I'd always so said nice. to him, I said, don't choose me a ring because I don't even know 
what I'd want yeah. and actually I didn't really have myself down as a diamond person either so you know that was a whole exploration in itself but yes we went to Rachel Boston and we designed that together and it really was a mutual process mm. um, both of us I think were quite baffled by the, I mean you must see couples designing oh, things gosh. all the time and it's <clears throat> so I feel so sorry I feel sorry particularly when it's, a, when it's a sweet young man who comes and he doesn't know anything and I almost think we should find a new way to phrase it because the first thing we always say is do you know what size your girlfriend's finger is and, yeah. he, and he just looks in a panic like am I supposed to know I don't know <laughs> what size my wife's fingers it's, it feels like you're already putting people on the back foot well I didn't even know I didn't know what size my finger was no why, why would you how would you and quite yeah. often people come and they sort of say well she's about your size you can't say <laughs> yeah that isn't gonna that isn't it's gonna not gonna work, work. but no it's, it's quite a daunting presence isn't it it um, is and it was made very straightforward for us and, and it was sort of taken through it but Matt suggested the double band and and I I've touched on this in the book for me it it made a lot of sense as an aspiration, at least, for a marriage because the design is balanced and equal. And so you have two bands, you have an equal weighting of things. Ideally, for me, that's what a life with a person should be. Um, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you should have mentioned the whole idea of marriage. And, and I mean, I've been a bit, um, obviously, because I've sort of worked with marriage most yeah, of my professional of life. Um, and on the one hand, you know, it's quite a, patriarch, a, a patriarchal sort yeah, of massively. thing, or it can be. And then also there's this, uh, there can also be this element of it being uh, almost like having a bit of ownership on, a, on yeah. a woman, you know. And yeah. sometimes that's definitely not the rings we make. But sometimes when you see a guy with a, with a wife with this whacking ring, I mean, why would someone wear a three quarters of a million pound diamond on their finger. I'm just trying to work out how that works sometimes. But I think you sort of wrestled with all, with all this things about, you know, marriage or anything. But it just kind of... So I guess for the boyfriend, it, yeah. um, had you discussed it before? Or is he a brave chap who sort of took a took a We discussed it before to the extent that he probably knew that if he asked, or he knew if he asked, <laughs> I'd probably say yes. But when we met, you have one of those abstract conversations... Mm. And I was like, no, I don't think I'll, I'll get married. I don't think I want children. Mm. And evidently both of those things have come to pass. And I, that was on no persuasion of his part. But he was the opposite. He always wanted to get married. He always wanted to mm. have children. And I think it is massively patriarchal. There's a lot of studies to show that women are significantly less happy once mm. they get married. For me, it was less about even the paperwork of that and the ownership which of these of these people bagging the man so much as what happens in our heteronormative domestic structures that mm. we put together and that for me was a real challenge and the so, amount you give up yeah exactly or rather as a woman the amount you take on regardless of which way okay, yeah. you see it you know <clears throat> yeah. you join your life with a with a man you, you often take on a lot of the domestic and emotional labour mm -hmm. wrongly or rightly and I so that was a that. I know. noticed that when I got married is that for example if I forgot to send my mum or my aunt a birthday oh, card yeah. pe people would say to Denise it's like oh did you forget so you know it was like as if in some way that was her job to yeah. remember birthday days and all that sort of thing but absolutely um, so yeah there's definitely a thing there but I, I think that's you know that's kind of largely in the past is it or, or you can make it in the past if you hang around in the right people and stand up for yourself in the I right think way. it just needs to be talked about still a lot and I think that was one of the things that powered me through or encouraged me to go and talk to all, to those dozens of women that informed the book because I was still wrestling with it. Mm. I, you know, I'd count most of my friends as ardent feminists 
and I am one, but I, I still live within the structures of patriarchal society that mean that, yes, often I am the one thinking about whether my mother-in-law is getting a birthday present or not. Do you know what I mean? That we yeah, still and, have these trappings. And you can, I know strong feminists whose actual day-to-day workings of their lives, you know, leave a kind of jaw-dropping because... It's like, I know feminists who have partners who've never changed a nappy right. for the three children on. Yeah. And, or whose partners have never sort of cooked or, you know, yeah. it's like, so, oh my God, how come in your personal life can you, can you live such a different existence than what I thought your I- ideals were? Yeah. So it's, it's quite, but I, I often feel, we might have to cut this out. I'm, I'm, I'm working on dangerous, dangerously thin ice. I sometimes think it's quite often a two-way thing. Mm. Like sometimes... Uh, there is a there is an area that that uh, that uh, a woman can take ownership of, mm. and and uh, uh, so I, I sometimes I don't know if it all comes from one side or whether it's whether it's both parties are no, sort of th- collaborative in this, and it would be fascinating for you when it comes to child care. Yeah. To what extent you feel that you feel you have a right of ownership to certain areas, which yeah. will. Um, which will sort of somehow shoehorn you into a traditional uh, role. I mean, who knows how things are going to work out? But I think that's why gardens are really interesting as well, because uh, for me, the garden is <coughs> is entirely my space. I mean, I you know, I decide what we grow, what I grow. <laughs> I mow the lawn. <laughs> uh, it's something that I have created and I've used as a creative outlet. And with the exception of two people in the book who are Ali Smith, the novelist, and her partner, Sarah Wood, who's a filmmaker. Everybody else gardened alone and they were all women. So that suggests that we do, we do take up our own spaces, whether that's in the kitchen or whether that's the garden, whether that's in our bathrooms or dressing rooms or wherever, our creative studios, whatever it is, we do have ways of carving out stuff for ourselves. And exactly as you say, it is a push and a pull. It isn't just women finding this. Mm. We exist in a patriarchal society and therefore it's as much the responsibility of the men as fathers, as husbands, as partners to redefine those traditional boundaries. I think, so one of the issues that I've noticed, we're going off onto a tangent, I want to look at more jewellery, but one of the issues I've noticed is, for example, when your kid goes to a nursery school, the nursery school will normally ask for the mother's phone number in case of emergency. So when something happens, they'll they'll call mum, because it's like, that's just what you're used to doing. And and also, that's kind of reinforced by the pay inequality gap. Yeah. So guys can kind of go, well, my job's more important than your job. And and there you're using a very male uh, judgment system on the importance of work. And the importance of work isn't how much money it brings into the family. It's what it, what it brings each individual person. You yeah. shouldn't judge that on, on, on income. But I think it so often is. So there's all these different things. So there's a bit of society, a yeah. bit of history and a bit of... Government policy as well. You know, that, 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 finds, that means that you're sort of shuffling along and you find yourself in a position where you're trying to get on with them. I mean, also, if you're a writer, you'll be working from home. Yeah. It, it could so easily be, well, you're kind of, you're at home. So, yeah. you know, you're the one that can drop things. 
Um, so um, luckily for me, I mean, me and my wife, we've had our battles, but she's always been very strong on, on you know, I'm not bloody doing it, you know, over Good to you, her. mate. So which has given me, I'm, I'm, I, you know, it was difficult at the time, but it's given me a, a, a great, I kind of encourage guys to do that as well because it does give you this great relationship and bond with your children but some course, guys yeah. need to be sort of booted into it a bit more so yeah we um, shall see as you say <laughs> we'll see no it's very it's very interesting and, I, and i've seen a lot of progress i've got some amazing um young women here at work who have children and they're really doing it differently yeah. it's great to see how they're raising their kid in a completely sort of 50 50 the child has two parents and we're going to share this we're going to do this together and it's completely equal it's lovely yeah. to see wasn't so much of that around when I was when I brought my kids out. Mm. Um, let's look at let's look at another beat. So that's mm. another, a lovely ring. You put that you put the engagement ring back on your yeah, finger. I feel odd not to Actually, I'm going to pass these on to um, Esme and say, Esme, here's oh, a piece of white paper and take, take some, some snaps. Oh yeah, I'm going to send through some. Oh, we're going to give photos. Um, but I can I'll take them again just yeah. Okay, just okay. Take if that's okay. As you wish. Fine. If that's okay. Um, can we look at amazing big cat head? Yeah, cat head. Because that's so rock and roll. I know, right? I've got another really distinct visual memory of buying it. So when we were... Don't, if, don't force the ring. We've got cold water if you've got it. It's fine. It is... Yeah, no, it's fine. It's warm, but it, it comes off. Cool. Um, so... Yes, Champs-Élysées. <laughs> Champs-Élysées. What was I? 18? God, you got New York, Paris. I know, it makes me sound very glam. Very glamorous. Um, Champs-Élysées, I was 18, uh, and I was on holiday with my girlfriends, and we walked into some, I mean, it wouldn't have been fancy, but some high street jeweller, mm-hmm. and it was there, and... At the time, so this was 2007, so New Rave was a thing, 80s throwback was a thing, a kind of ironic tackiness was very in vogue, and I mean, I feel like that summed up, that that piece is very much... <laughs> so I'm going to see, it's so um, it's Agatha, and I know, because I spent a lot of time in Paris, I know Agatha, and um, it's a great French brand, and I'm just going to see if they're still going. Here's me trying to talk a type at the same time, I spelled children wrong... Oh yes, Agatha Perry. They're still there. Still Oils. there. That's what great. are they making now? I wonder. Um, let's go to shop now. This is great. We're live. Good live. We're Googling live. On. So kind of oh, a little bit more sophisticated. Slightly more. I mean, but what yeah, price kind of points are we looking at? Because I can't. I remember at the time it felt like I spent a fortune. euros. Okay. Yeah. So that would have been a lot of money to me at age eighteen. I remember yeah, well it thinking. I mean, it's proper. It's it proper costume jewelry. It's, it's, it's a. Yeah. It's a proper brand, and you know, I would have seen this because we were doing the Paris fashion shows right. at, at that time, and so I would have sort of walked Thank past you. and seen this. I'm assuming that's kind of. Nice fakes. I'm pretty sure they're rhinestones, yeah. And going, it's kind of eyebrow sort of crown things, but I love that. It's a kind of roaring big cat head on a chain. Actually, the chain's remarkably short. Yeah, so it very much yeah. sat kind of solar plexus. I can really see it on... Yeah. Did you take this to, to uh, New York with you? Because I can see yeah, you working I, in, in your nylon magazine wearing this. I absolutely yeah. lived in it. So I wore it all through university. That thing has been so many club nights. So many parties, 
At the time, I also had a bowl cut and enormous plastic frame glasses. Yes. A lot of American apparel. Yes. It was very... There was no subtlety at all, Alex. It was, no. Um... Who needs subtlety when you, can, <laughs> when you can have great pieces like that? It's but super. It, I, I remember thinking, gosh, this is a lot of money and I absolutely love it. And I think my bank card failed. So my friends very sweetly ah. took out cash <laughs> on the Champs-Élysées so that I could buy it and, and I paid them all back but when I was rummaging I, I found it and I was like my god that was for me it so sums up a That's sort right. of a vogue and an era and it is objectionably sort of it's very gaudy it's as I say, it's, there's no subtlety to it but it I, I completely loved it and I remember quite early on I was in Tesco or something and someone at the checkout was like is that Versace and I was like obviously not <laughs> <laughs> Obviously That's not Versace. So cool. <laughs> but thank you for saying it's that Versace. Thanks. It does. It does look a bit Versace, doesn't it? Yeah. One of the things I love about it is that you bought this um, ages ago and you've worn it and had fun with it, and it's it's just as good as new. And this is going to go through several generations. This will. I and hope it'll, so. It'll I mean, keep I'm not going back into fashion, you know. Right. Um, it's not quite there yet. I still think we're in a in a relative world of um, wistful minimalism, okay. aren't we? Okay, you say that. You met Richard in our shop yes. downstairs. Can you not see him? I can see him, I yeah. mean, he would he would die for this, wouldn't he? Oh, it's perfect. I think, <laughs> so I think you want to keep that hidden or you, yeah. or you won't sneak that out the door because yeah. that's great. I think that's But that's it survived the many, the many purges. Love that's it. the thing. Like, many Marie Kondo purges, it survived. So, yes, I, I suspect it. it's got more life in it yet. Uh, definitely well, and I like the idea that these pieces are going to go in in a sort of jewelry box or in a drawer, and then as your kids grow up, you'll be going through them, and you'll be. I kind of like. I've got this image of you kind of, you know, on the bed with your kids. I mean, you're telling them the stories, and yeah. then they're like, oh, "What happened then?" And what you know, like, tell us about that, and how did he engage you, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So you can use the bits of jewellery to take you through the history. And the story. And I've just, done that with them. my mum so often because she was an only child and inherited all of my grandmother's jewellery. And yes, they are, they're portals jewellery boxes, aren't they? I love that idea of going through those things mm. and being able to talk about your history and your, and your family's history and, and going back. And what's particularly nice with your engagement ring is that you're not just going back to you, you're going back another generation again. Yeah, going again. back another so one, yes. You're, you're, you're keeping the kind of the narrative of the family going through and through. Yeah, quite a lot of pressure. Let's have a look at uh, what surprised me because that doesn't look like a gardener's watch. Right, well, it's before my gardener's time and actually I've been meeting, mm. you might have some recommendations. I need to get this serviced. Mm. I used to get it serviced every year by a little man who lived in Newcastle and had a tiny proper jeweller's bolt in the book. Yeah. And he, for 25 quid he'd service it and it would be ticking again. You had to wind it up. This was a gift from my brother to me one Christmas. Wow. Yeah, and we don't do extravagant gifts as, as a family. So I imagine he probably got it fairly cheap. But it is, you know, it's a kind of rotary, delicate, mid-century, I suppose. Tiny face, but a gorgeous, slinky, flat, snake-like... Yeah, it's like snakeskin, um, isn't it? I mean, it's really lovely. For some reason, I just, because I knew of your gardening, I was imagining you having quite a big, something a bit sort of chunky and robust and and gardeny. Well, I don't think Um, I would have chosen it for myself, is the thing. Well, that's, but that's just amazing. But I also have, I've got kind of literally child-sized hands and very small wrists, so I find watches difficult because most faces 
are too large for my wrist. Yeah. So actually, bizarrely, yeah. that one does work, but it needs a service. It needs a service. It's not, it's not working at the moment. No. And you don't want to overwind it that much, I know, about watches. Yeah. Let's say, um, if any listener knows of a good... Because they used to be everywhere. Yes, they're hard to find them. And they've all now. closed down. I used to know lots in Hangar, they've all closed down, these mm. little guys. They were, I guess they're all working from home or something. So if anyone does know of a yeah, good um, watch service place it's not like a, it's not a you know a, a ten thousand pound rolex it's, no. it's just a nice little humble watch but super slinky you can't stop um slinking it's incredibly tactile so if anyone knows a nice person that would be able to do that then let us know and we'll pass that on to you but um brothers don't give no sisters. i know it was it was when such, was that it wasn't a sentimental it was a christmas it was a random christmas around similar era to the to the teacup and you know late noughties I suppose and it could almost be any time actually couldn't it that could be something that your you know a, a mother had or so you know it could be it's it could completely be from the 60s, timeless 70s. yeah I, I don't know when it dates from but it's sort of general retro yeah but I remember being so touched by it and just thinking it was that instance when someone manages to pick something for you that you would never choose yourself but it feels so incredibly mm. right as i said i found you know i found this little watchman to to repair it and it fits like a glove yeah, which many I mean, things it's don't it's a bracelet me. as much as anything isn't it it looks gorgeous on you yeah uh, and it's funny to wear it again actually because i haven't for quite a long time but you're right it's not a gardener's watch and it is delicate and I wore it as a student I mean I, I worked in a vintage shop when I was a student mm. I wore vintage head to toe I was completely fascinated with old things and I still am so I think that kind of went with everything else that I wore at the time but it was also a time when you didn't check your phone all the time to know what the time no. was so you had to wear a watch yeah um, my daughter's just got a job in a vintage shop has she and it's great because she gets to see everything as it comes in yeah so you get first dibs oh we'd pay each other in clothes sometimes right or we'd sell everything to each other for a pound. <laughs> um, the disadvantage is there's no, it's kind of on a shoestring, so there's no heating. So right. Oh, yeah, no, no, they're always cold vintage shops. Oh, my God. Sitting there this one was freezing. So cold. Yeah. In Newcastle, with the door open. Oh, my God, Newcastle, yeah, that's what it's <laughs> Well, she's got a hot water bottle now, which kind oh, of... Oh, bless her. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's, you it's end a, up with lots of jumpers because you have to wear or really good yeah. coats because I'd sit there in a fur coat. No, it's a great gig. So she's always coming back with things and then and then nowadays what they're all doing is, you know, kind of cutting them up and repurposing yeah. and so so creative and yeah. so much better than, than buying unnecessary new stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that was it, you know... I've always loved old things and I did in hindsight do horrible things to beautiful 70s dresses like <laughs> just slash the hem <clears throat> yeah they're probably collectible pieces now though. I know. but anyway things need to be used they had a lot of fun had in them and um, yeah as you say it's something that I'd probably have on an evening it's an evening watch but I wore it I wore it to do everything in. we're going to put everything on the website we're going to put pictures of the jewellery on the website and I will see you. Oh, you'll be having a little um, child seat. I'll, I'll see you with your bike and your child seat, <laughs> won't I? <laughs> Absolutely. Guarantee I'll be like rattling past. Yeah, there'll be a brief... See, yeah, see me Beach. in the queue for Frog, now will you, towed. Um, well, I've got to get to Frog Bakery. Yes. Because I haven't been there. And it's Are like you an early riser? Yeah, it can be. I mean, it depends. Like, on quite a Saturday. Often, I'm sort of working quite often on a Saturday, and that's a bore. Or we go up to Suffolk, because that's where I'm from. Lovely. So I've kind of got this idea of having a lazy London weekend, going down to Frog Bakery. So you need to get there early to get the good stuff, right? Well, I think, actually, they probably roll it out all day. Okay. So you should be okay. Okay. Yeah, I've got this great image. It's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
prophecy, but I always get down there thinking I'm quite good at about 8, 8.30, and the queues are crazy, so... Oh, you see, we shouldn't have mentioned it. <laughs> well, we're, we're calling it frog still, and it's technically toad oh, yeah, now, so... Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, no one will discover graduated. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. Anyway, Alice, thank you so much thank for coming. Me. Thanks for your time. I'm kind of poaching in my own jumper because we've shut all the doors. It's the very warm. And we left a heater on and it's, it's slowly... But we can't have the windows open because um, because of all the noise for recording. So, um, Alice, thank you. And um, I'll see you out and about South East. See you in Ruskin Park. We've got two dogs. Amazing. And I'll have a buggy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you'd like to see some of the pieces we've been talking about, or for more information about any of the issues we've discussed, please check out our website and follow the links to the podcast page. You'll also find information on how to share your own stories, give a bit of feedback, or have a look at all the jewellery-related things I've been up to recently. We've also got some great jewellery-making tutorials on our YouTube channel. There's lots to see. Just go to www.alexmonroe.com. Mm-hmm.